0: to Detect the Genetic Cause on the Hereditary Disease Pod. Join genetic cardiologist Professor Chris Samsarian AM and Senior Paediatric Neurologist Associate Professor Andrew Kornberg as they discuss the clinical merits of genetic testing for suspected inherited disorders. In this episode, Professor Samsarian AM outlines the role of genetics in clinical cardiology practice. How I'm using genetic testing in my patients with inherited heart diseases that I see at the Genetic Heart Disease Program at Royal Prince Alfred Hospital in Sydney, how genetic testing is helping me in terms of diagnosing those patients, in terms of guiding therapy, and even perhaps um, impact on prognosis and future generations. I declined an honorarium to give this presentation because I, I love giving these talks just for the passion I have for genetics over the last 20, 25 years. So when we talk about inherited cardiovascular diseases, we talk about a whole series of conditions. We're focusing mainly on the cardiomyopathies and the arrhythmogenic syndromes, such as hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, long QT syndrome, et cetera. And there are many other conditions, vascular abnormalities, metabolic diseases, congenital heart diseases. All of these conditions can be caused by an underlying genetic mutation, which directly causes the disease. And there are some common features of inherited cardiovascular diseases. Most of the conditions are autosomal dominant, which means if I have the genetic problem, then my children have a 50% chance of having the same condition or carrying the same gene. They're generally younger people. The feature of these conditions is clinical diversity, where individuals can have no symptoms, whereas other people in the same family with the same genetic mutation can have heart failure or sudden death. They're also genetically heterogeneous in the sense that there are many disease genes involved in each of these conditions. And the best approach to caring for these patients and arranging genetic testing is in the setting of a specialized multidisciplinary clinic approach, which incorporates not just cardiology, but also genetic counseling, geneticists, forensic medicine, laboratories involved in testing, et cetera, et cetera. So what are my top five ways I use genetic testing at the moment in my clinics to help my patients? And I'm giving a cardiologist's perspective on this uh, t- this evening. The first is the genetic testing will give you a precise genetic diagnosis of the condition. There are many different diseases which have been basically redefined based on their genetic basis. For example, you know, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy 60 years ago was called a tumor of the heart. We now know it's a disease of the sarcomy. The arrhythmogenic conditions like long QT syndrome and CPVT are now collectively known as ion channelopathies because most of the disease genes encode ion channels of potassium, sodium, and calcium. ARVC has been redefined as a disease of the desmosome and the intercalated disc. And dilated cardiomyopathy has been redefined as a disease of the cytoskeleton and nuclear envelope. So you can see how genetics has refined the diagnosis of these diseases by pinpointing the precise underlying genetic cause of disease. It has also impacted on how we treat some of our patients and in defining further subcategories of disease. What I mean by that is we look at the condition of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, quite a prevalent condition, up to one in 500 people, maybe even more common. You can see the echo image there of a young man who on screening with a family history at the age of 17 years has severe septal hypertrophy, a hallmark of the condition. Clinical heterogeneity is a feature with no symptoms all the way to sudden death, as I've already mentioned. Hypertrophy is a main feature of the condition, although diastolic dysfunction, obstructive disease, atrial fibrillation, ventricular tachycardia, heart failure, all can be features of this condition. It's an important structural cause of sudden death in young people, including competitive athletes. The young 23 year old boy who was running along a beach and presented for the first time with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy as a a sudden death event. We now know that this condition is a disease of the sarcomere and we've pinpointed the eight top genes which cause hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. But what genetic testing has also helped us do is to identify what we call hypertrophic cardiomyopathy phenocopies. So, as a cardiologist looking at an echocardiogram, we see hypertrophy and it's a cardiomyopathy, but is it a hypertrophic cardiomyopathy? And genetics is helping us to resolve those conditions. So, HCM phenocopies are things like glycogen storage diseases caused by PIKAG2 mutations, Fabry disease with the GLA gene involved, Danon disease, LAMP2, and of course, amyloidosis as well, the transthyretin gene. Why is this important? It's important because we can manage these patients differently. So for example, if it's Danon disease, we have to be more aggressive in our management of the patient because most males with the condition end up having a transplant or die by the age of 20. So it hastens our clinical management. Or Fabry disease might be beneficial to diagnose because there are obviously therapeutic options which enables us to target therapy specifically for the disease. This may account for up to five to 10% of people that look like hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, but actually have something else. The second utility of genetic testing and probably the most common in the clinical setting at the moment is what we call cascade or genetic testing. We each inherit one copy of the gene from our mums and one from our dad. And that's important in family history because in this family, this can be any genetic heart condition with two affected individuals. If we don't have a genetic result, these relatives will all require clinical surveillance for the rest of their life at some interval. However, if we pinpoint the genetic diagnosis, we can then test other family members and those who carry the gene indicated by a positive can be monitored more carefully, whereas those that are negative can be released from lifelong clinical surveillance. So they don't carry the gene mutation that's causing disease in the family. They can be released from that lifelong surveillance, which is very reassuring for the individual and um, for those who actually do carry the gene mutation, lifelong clinical surveillance and monitoring is, is indicated. So cascade genetic testing is a big area that we commonly see and are investigating in our families with these inherited heart conditions. The third, and I've already touched on guiding therapy with the Fabry example, but let's look at another example, long QT syndrome, a little bit more common, uh, less common, I should say, one in 2,500. Of course, I'm referring here to familial or congenital long QT syndrome, not acquired long QT syndrome. You see prolonged QT on the ECGs, indicating the prolonged QT in this 22 year old woman with long QT syndrome. Syncope and sudden cardiac death are important complications of the disease as I've already alluded to, ion channelopathies um, are the collective term for these conditions. The problem with long QT syndrome, as you all know, it can lead to this rhythm, which is a nasty torsade de point, which can lead to ultimately ventricular fibrillation. The genetic causes of long QT syndrome, there are many, but the top three of the main three genes implicated, LQT1 and 2, which are, uh, encode potassium ion channel genes and LQT3, which is a sodium channel disease gene, SCN5A. Others have been described, but these are the top three. And so genotype helps us because it subdivides. You know, up until recently, we've always treated long QT syndrome collectively as one group, but now we can subdivide. Long QT1, highest risk in males under 15. Long QT2, mainly females over 12 years of age. And long QT3, highest risk population, males over 18. There also might be different triggers in terms of um, uh, arrhythmic events. So long QT1 more related to swimming and physical activities. Long QT2 typically event triggers like auditory stimulation or postpartum. And long QT3 sadly is really about sleep and rest where most deaths occur. And it might even determine what, how we treat these patients in terms of long QT type three, which is a sodium channel disease gene So the genetic substrate allows us to be more precise in how we manage these patients. The fourth reason is in the area of sudden death in the young, and almost every one of those genetic heart conditions, a complication of disease is sudden death in the young person. And so we can use genetic testing as a molecular autopsy, where we collect the blood sample at postmortem, we extract the DNA, and we undertake any form of genetic analysis with the goal to try and find the cause of disease that led to the death of the young person. This is to remind you of a study we did a few years ago across Australia and New Zealand. And the key point here is that 40% of young people who die suddenly in Australia and New Zealand have no cause identified at post-mortem. And this is where genetic testing is helping us because it is pinpointing some of the arrhythmogenic causes like long QT syndrome, where long QT syndrome, of course, doesn't show up at post-mortem. You can't measure the conducting system in post-mortem. You can't measure the QT interval at postmortem. But if you find a genetic cause in the, in the blood sample, then you can pinpoint the precise cause of why those young people died suddenly. And you, can, you only have to see one family to realize how important this is. You know, I see these families every week, young families, Uh, parents who have lost a son or a daughter. And of the thousands of questions they ask, every parent asks, why did my son or daughter die suddenly? And how can we stop that ever happening again to anyone else in my family? And those two questions are answered by genetic diagnosis because you identify a precise cause of death. There's a level of closure for the family that we know what the cause is. You can use that genetic result for family relatives, uh, clinical screening of, of first degree relatives, and initiate prevention strategies for those who carry the gene mutation uh, in that family. And fourthly, it can help in reproductive decision-making in the future. And that leads me to my fifth and final utility of genetic testing in in families with inherited heart conditions. And that is in the area of pre-implantation genetic diagnosis, where through IVF, uh, embryos can be produced and tested at an early stage to see if they do or don't carry the genetic mutation which runs in the family. And then you only implant the embryos which do not carry the gene mutation, which means a child is born without the gene and without disease. Now this has obviously moral and ethical discussions and other discussions, but it's another process whereby genetics is helping us, not only for our current generations, but our future generations. My take home messages, hopefully I've encapsulated for you the the main ways genetic testing is really helping our patients in terms of diagnosis, in terms of guiding therapy, and some information about prognosis in patients and their families. The molecular autopsy or genetic testing at postmortem can define the cause of sudden death in the young with the implications I've mentioned. It can also be helpful in reproductive decisions, as I've alluded to. And this sort of testing, of course, needs specialty care. Thank you for joining us for this important discussion on the utility of genetic testing in clinical cardiology practice. Please join us next time as Senior Paediatric Neurologist Associate Professor Andrew Kornberg uses real-world case studies to explore the role of genetics in the diagnosis and management of hereditary muscular dystrophies and neuromuscular disorders in children.